0: Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype September 14th, 2019. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. It's been a few weeks since the last show. I went, and this might seem like a strange set of locations, but I went to Sacramento, London, and Sacramento again since the last recording. So it's been difficult to find a weekend where I could do a recording but just the nature of the travel has been so far. My final trip to Sacramento, out of the two, I attended the Narrow Gauge Convention, which was genuinely quite interesting. I don't think I'd been to any Narrow Gauge-specific event previously, and it struck me that there's just a different kind of model railroader that is also a Narrow gauger. I went round the exhibit floor. I went to One Layout with Malcolm Johnson, which was absolutely wonderful. It was great catching up with Malcolm. Malcolm and his family have recently moved to Sacramento, so I feel it's kind of another minus one to the Bay Area Model Rail Radio crew. Obviously Jamie Fenton and uh, Jennifer left, I think, probably sometime last year. Maybe a year ago, in fact. So to lose Malcolm Johnson as well, it's a real loss. But we spent a wonderful half day together. Uh, we started with barbecue, met up with a bunch of folk including Duncan McCree. Yeah, it was just wonderful hanging out with Malcolm and chatting about a wide variety of things. I don't actually think model railroading was discussed at all, except maybe at the layout. And I bought a copy of the layout owner's book, which I have relatively close by. It was wonderful to go and see that layout. I also talked to the gentleman who runs AcuCraft, which is a local Bay Area company, but makes steam locomotives even for Kent Garden Railways, which was quite curious. So I talked a little bit about live steam with him and what we do with model rail radio and also number of the participants that talk about live steam. And I think what's interesting with AccuCraft's offerings is they're moving in some pretty eclectic directions. I don't know if I'm 100% on board with all the aesthetic choices that they're making, but certainly a number of interesting directions. And if they start building trains that run on Breadcar, that would be a very interesting direction to take. And they may be doing that with Kent Garden Railways. I'm not really sure what collaborations will come in the future through that. But, yeah, an interesting discussion. When I was in London, I had the wonderful opportunity to travel down south just a little bit, to head to Bredgar with Neil, with Malcolm. I think Ken was in the car as well. Just, you know, unfortunately, Simon Hill wasn't able to make it. He had a conflicting day's appointment, but it was wonderful to catch up with Neil and Martin and Ken. And actually meet their new friends as well. Not their new friends, but the folks that they work on Breadcar with get a sense of the area. It's just, you can't imagine, this is the most idyllic possible setting you could imagine for a kind of short line, passenger service, two stations either end, and just some beautiful countryside. And 10 amazing steam locomotives. I think it's difficult to imagine Breadcar in the descriptions that I've had up until now through the podcast, unless you acknowledge that there are ten very distinct, very interesting steam locomotives, and a few diesels as well, that run on this layout once a month, I think, uh, maybe seven times a year, was the numbers that uh, Martin passed on to me. But yeah, to think families in that area come on a regular basis to see some really interesting steam locomotives run. And also, it's a family day out, the space is beautifully put together. We, we have Neil Brody on the line. Let me see if I can get Neil's audio. I was just introducing the audience to my experiences at Bredgar. It was just a wonderful day. Thank you very much for your participation in the day. In terms of the events that Bredgar puts on, I hadn't realised how much of an epicentre it was in the local community associated with families, you know, three generations coming together. In terms of the involvement, there's, there's a there's a balance, which I also found was really fascinating, associated with over-promoting and having too many people and promoting just the right amount and having the right number of people. For folks listening in, can you describe some of this paradox that, that is you know, part of Bredka?
1: Yes. it's um, The big problem is that we've got a limited room and we've got a limited number of trains, and it's a fairly short train ride, as you know. Um, and we don't we find that if we get about sort of 700 people there then there's plenty of time for everybody to get plenty of train rides to ride through the day um but if it gets above that then it gets a bit packed and uh, there's the queues get very long um and we don't want people to become bored or disappointed because they can't get on a train the long the, the biggest number of people we had there I think was about 1300 yes um and that was just far too big and, and we we were running the three trains constantly from start to finish with no breaks. Um, and it comes very wearing actually on the staff as well, because, mm. you know, you, you, if you get tired, then that's when the problems start. So, um, uh, it's a sort of finite number we can fit in. Um, you, you could see the, the problem because you saw just the one trains. So we've got, Two two trains like that, and we've got the good set, which is the open wagons. Um and people tend to want to go on everything. And so you've got about a, a twelve minute train ride um there and back, maybe fifteen minutes depending on the type of train. And it just gets, as I say, overwhelming. But there are other other attractions that um we unfortunately couldn't have on the day that you came. Um, which is the tractor rides, the, um, um, there's the, the, um, the organ which they get out and there's all the exhibits to see, the fire engine to look at. Um, there's lots of things. There's usually a, um, a theme for the day. Um, and the one that we had after your visit was the farm machinery or tractor day. Mm-hmm. And we had a whole trip, a whole, um, a lot of, um, how can I put it with a variation of tractors from very early models to some of the later ones. And then at the, in the middle of the afternoon, they all have a procession, which which uh, they go all around through the woods and back up again. And it's and it's quite a sight. So you always have something that's um, in addition to the railway. And the the, the Sunday before you came, we had um, classic cars. Hmm. Um, and Martin had his his um, uh, stag down there, mm-hmm. um, um, and it's quite it's quite an interesting day. It's such a gem
0: within that area, and it's a difficult problem because on one side you want as many people to experience it as possible, and on mm-hmm. another side the capacity is such that that just isn't possible for broader you know advertising. So I think the thirteen hundred. was a day where it had been advertised on Facebook, there had been a variety of social media and other kind of leafleting drops, and that created the problem, so to speak, with regards to too many people. So how do you keep it just a local secret? I mean, what (laughs) there seems to be a problem which could explode potentially as as more people find out about it or this kind of stuff. I mean, what what have the thoughts been amongst you folks that work on the line? associated with the potential for another you know social media drop or something like that causing more people to show up on one of the days
1: Yeah, i think the day we had 1300 there was not just social media there was also um, a television um, broadcast on the local local television and it reached a lot of people that wouldn't normally know about it our main um, advertising is word of mouth and um, repeat visitors um, people telling their friends on their own Facebook pages they normally they normally post what they did some photographs, and their friends see it and then they come along um, that 's normally maintains it uh, rather than if you if we had huge advertising, then we would get too many people so it 's a very difficult balance for the people that own Breadguard, try to strike this balance it doesn 't always work um, but we're normally quite busy. Um, I mean, the last Sunday we were open, um, we filled up a train and it went off. And we came back, and as we came back, we looked at and the queue was building again. So every time we pulled into the station, there was always a queue of people. Yes. Um, so it it it's self perpetuating from that point of view. Uh, but as I say, that it's mostly word of mouth. Um, people tell people. Um, and there's the, there's the regular enthusiasts that come along, and the and the season ticket holders come along. And as I say, it's just word of mouth.
0: Hmm. So, in terms of the physical dimensions of things, if you had another passenger car, I mean, it, it's not even to that scale because can you actually fit another passenger car on the? No. So no. you really are at your limit, no matter what happens, basically.
1: We we are virtually at the limit, yes, mm. at the moment. We the, the loops only allow us to fit one engine or maybe two engines and, and, and the two big passenger cars or coaches. Um the good set is slightly shorter, but even that um is no, I yeah, suppose it is shorter, but uh, we could add another truck onto that and get um a bit more a few more people on. No, there isn't any room to make any more. We couldn't have another train. I mean, for a long time, we just ran with two, the two mm-hmm. passenger sets or the two coach sets. And we added the goods train with the open wagon. It was an idea that somebody had. Uh, I think it was David's idea, the the guy that you talked to when you were down there. Certainly. Um, um, see, we just tried it as an experiment. One or two people weren't very happy about it. They said, oh, you no, know, it's not going to work. But it was so successful, we had to add a second wagon, <laughs> and then of course we've got we've, then we then got the guards van. Well, have we got the little four wheel coach? There are people that will stand and let others go on the ordinary trains because they want to specifically travel on that train. Yes, because uh, it's not there are not many places you can do that. Certainly. And then get up and then get up close and personal to the actual engines and the uh, and the stock, because most of the time you're kept kept well away and. Um, and you have a train ride, which you've paid for, but at Breadgar, we do things differently. Um, once you've entered the site, then you can ride on the trains as many times as you like, different trains or the same train, it doesn't matter. Certainly, certainly. Martin, do you have audio?
0: Hi, Tom. Yes, I do. So I was just chatting with Neil associated with the paradox of Breadgar, the notion that in becoming too popular, it might actually make it impossible to operate. I had a wonderful day, Martin Coons. It was absolutely wonderful to catch up with you and your crew. Uh, Simon was was missed, unfortunately, but uh, I hope he'll call into a, a future show and we can chat about some stuff. In terms of the paradox of Breadcar, in terms of it being an absolute gem hidden away, but also a little bit of a local secret, what are your thoughts on you know, potentially social media? I mean... It, It'd be relatively easy for it to go back to 1,300 people visiting in one particular day. What What are your thoughts associated with this problem that you have associated with the number of folk that come by?
2: Uh, we don't want it too busy uh, because that can be self-defeating. Mm. And, and people, you know, if they, if they came on a very, very busy day, obviously the queues will get longer and there'll be a longer wait to get on a ride, etc. And that will put people off. Uh, totally. So we we think our, our sort of optimum, nice, uh, comfortable full day is around about the eight to 900 visitors, mm. uh, which is, it's interesting for us as operators because I mean it makes no difference really whether a train's full up or empty when you're driving it. You still do the same route, but it just feels better when it's full up yes. and then you feel you have more. It's a little bit like exhibiting an exhibition. You could exhibit your model row at an exhibition all day and run it, but if no one turned up, Mm. It just seems a bit pointless, but if you've got a nice crowd in front of you, it's just you get that buzz uh so that that's what it's about but uh it it's quite it's tricky with Bredgar because uh we only open on the first sunday of the month yes it is it is only through uh a short uh, sort of from April through to October, so we've got a finite set of dates. We are heavily reliant on the weather
3: mm.
2: and and thankfully. Uh, we've been very, very fortunate over the years. We've hardly had any bad weather days, yes. uh, which, which, which can, can kill it. Uh, because a, a lot of people will come to it. They'd open, if they open their curtains in the morning and it's drizzling with rain, they'll do something else. But also being located in Kent, there's a lot of other attractions in, in the holidays and the Certainly. fine weather days. So we've, we've got a lot of other competing things, but we, have a website where we have a, the facebook page is very very active and we've got a lot of visitors through that we get a lot of visitors through word of mouth where someone's heard about it they've come up and, and then they stole the virtues of it to their friends and, mm. and bits and pieces we still have people who only live literally a few miles in the next village to it and never even existed Yeah, certainly all uh, right but it, it's difficult really it's it's gone we used to have uh things that probably a lot of people do like local papers mm-hmm. which used to be freebies handed out and that's where you'd advertise well to be honest those have got so small or non-existent yes uh you you've lost that sort of mail drop contact so things like social media facebook twitter uh, are the things that we can develop more but it, it's a happy it's a very fine balance of being too busy on or, or not busy enough and and we're 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 thinking of new new features we've moved a couple of days around uh we dropped the uh world war 2 reenactment things day because it seems to get there seems to be a thing going where not a lot of people some people don't like that type of thing mm. uh which puts them off so and, and we can't do it any well anywhere near as well as the big uh, heritage railways, we Certainly. put on the 1940s and, and all the bit. So we've dropped that, and we have more sort of family orientated things or 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 theme things. Uh Like in August, we had the classic car mm-hmm. show event. We had 98 classic cars. Uh Most of those people I spoke to had never even knew about the railway, and, yes. and will definitely be coming back. And was just so amazed that you know, as, as I think Neil touched on, you pay one entry for you ride as many times as you like. The, the ride is very short, but it means kids with uh, families with young kids don't get bored.
0: Certainly. Uh, uh, one of always... the highlights for me, which I didn't really know about before actually going there, is the diversity of steam locomotives that you actually have. I didn't realise that there were 10 locomotives, active oh, yeah. steam locomotives, yeah. and that, to me, gave a completely different dimension to this thing with the view that I don't know how you cycle them or work it out, but the potential for people coming back Every, you know, every month getting different steam locomotives.
2: Yeah, we tried to do that. Uh, We we tried to sort of ring the changes with them and and use different ones each month. Some are the same. It just depends uh, what happens. I mean, uh, this last one, Simon had a problem with uh, one of the locos, and I think it was the uh, uh, injector (laughs) wasn't lifting or something. So he had to pull that out of service. Uh, So, but that was, a fairly simple fix now they have fixed it so it can come out next year but if it had been a a, a more work demanding uh, fix it, it may well be it wouldn't be out next month we've got another engine we can wheel in its place yes uh, and and so forth sometimes uh, we, we have private charters uh, we have photographic uh, charters and private hires so although an engine isn't seen on an open day sunday it could well have been used during the week certainly uh, for, for a special. So we, we try to keep them all going and give them their sort of fair, fair crack at the whip. Uh, cause it's, it's like all engines and, and machinery. They, they need to be used just sitting there. They go off as it were.
3: Certainly. And, and bits Certainly. and
2: pieces. So, and there's, you know, the diesels are trickier, uh, <laughs> because, uh, they, We've got, so we, we've got the big, what we term the big diesels, which, yes. which take on the duties of the passenger, uh, the, the equivalent duties of the steam trains pulling the large passenger stuff Certainly. and, and also filling in as, uh, lunch break relief if a steam engine wants to come off for lunch. Yes. And then we've got sort of quite a gap to all sort of the smaller diesels or the simplexes of this world and, and things like that, where they're not really up to pulling what well, they're not up to pulling the fully loaded two coach passenger train. Yes. So we try to use those on little demonstration goods. Uh, I can't remember. Did we, we did show you the goods shed, didn't we? Yes, most definitely. Yeah. So you saw that, uh, yeah. the red tank wagon and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try and get that out with the simplex, uh, if we can and, and fit that in between, uh, routes. Ken seems to, he always come, he, he seems to come up with a, a point in the sequence <laughs> that we can whip that out. Yes. But like all of these things, you're down to the number of people available. Certainly. So you need, you know, if you've got the simplex going out with a tank wagon, you need a simplex driver. And depending on how many volunteers have turned up uh, that particular day, dictates whether sometimes things can be possible or not. We were going to run the simplex uh, this weekend with a, a demonstration of goods, but when Simon's engine uh, had a problem and had to be pulled off, Ken had to get the Bagley diesel into action yes. to take over that. So we lost that ability uh but we are very fortunate and we have so many steam engines so many diesels just sitting there that if yes. one does have the problem it's not a disaster uh we've got plenty of other things that can quickly jump in and just keep the the momentum going and and the passengers and and we swallow up passengers quite quickly uh but you know the queue builds up and it's not it's only a six minute wait before the next train so it <laughs> it, it works it works quite well, and uh, we enjoy it, and we get to play with the real thing. Certainly. Which is uh, Certainly. all good fun. And, one uh, of the
0: things that I really liked, which I guess I had a sense of, was the camaraderie, and also the story about how you guys got involved with the steam locomotive, obviously, that you built. But once the, you delivered the steam locomotive, the question was there, well, why don't you just come back and help out? And I think one of the things that I also liked was the notion that you turned... The operations that existed prior to you guys arriving on the scene into model railroad operations, which actually made the thing considerably more efficient. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, when we first started helping out, uh, they were running just two uh, passenger trains and nothing else. There was the, the, there was the lovely goods stock that ne- never came out at weekends, like the tank wagon. There's the the, the private owner open wagons, and whereas no one ever saw them. So myself and Ken started pulling those out with of simplexes and running them and the skip train we run the skip wagon so we used to run that between passenger trains so and people were sort of oh quacky didn't even know you had this stuff so we started running that and ken came up with more and more ideas on how stuff could be done that's when bill who owns it said to him why don't you guys just run it <laughs> and 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 uh, he, whatever you want to do, he said, I'm happy for you to do it. Cause he could see stuff. He spent a lot of money having restored. yeah And, and he, he gets no greater pleasure than seeing it being operated and being used and other people enjoying it. Certainly. So that's how it started. And, and, uh, Ken puts on, on the mythology of, of like you touched on is operating a model railway at an exhibition. You, you may have a branch line model railway, but you'll never run a true branch line schedule because people will be bored in that time yes. at all. You just have to keep stuff running and then stuff all over the show because quite often in an exhibition you've only got a few seconds attention span before someone moves on. Certainly, similar sort of thing is is true. Uh, with a, a, a brick car. Uh so we we just started running running more and more stock and more trains which made it more interesting for people uh, we reduced the gaps between trains uh, we got up to now we on a good day we can get in the high 70s of train movements yes uh so there's there's quite a bit going on and other stock comes out i know ken's thinking of new Routines and, and he has (laughs) these ideas of, I just had a thought about something, a a new way of doing things. There is talk. Oh, I think you saw, you wish, you did see the little 009 model, didn't you? The extension. Look, yes. That, that's still not been ruled out because we've got all the track, we've got the points. So it wouldn't surprise me if over the winter that appeared. Mm. And that would help. What
0: would that mean actually to operations? Would that mean potentially an additional locomotive or what would it mean?
2: Well, it helps reduce because when we run the what we call the open passenger, the goods train mm-hmm. passenger sure. train, the about that has to go back into the kickback siding in the turn uh, in the timetable. Uh, there's a particular shuffle we do, but because it's uh, got passengers on board, we have to top and tail it. You can't shunt it as you would empty wagons because yes. you've got people. What that would do is we wouldn't have to do this top and tail shunting manoeuvre. It means it could just sit in its own loop and the train could run round, uh, and it would just simplify things. But it will also give us the added advantage that the head shunt or the kickback siding is now free to park something else in, Hmm. which could be like the demonstration goods with the tank wagon or the skip wagons or or simulates, which could just sit there waiting for its moment to just whip out and follow a passenger train down. Certainly. Stuff like that. So it will give us uh, much more flexibility it'll add interest for the person uh, who runs that end of the line.
3: Yes,
2: Uh, And they're talking about making a a small signal box. Uh, We've already got the lever frame. So that makes it much more interesting for the person operating that end as well. So it's not only for the visiting public, but it's also good for the volunteers that makes it a much more fun time. Because it is uh, the railway is one thing, but the main thing about it is we just get on. And, Um, I mean, on that
0: point, one of the things that I really enjoyed was not only the tea room, but also the clubhouse. These 2 The clubhouse was just so... You couldn't have that clubhouse anywhere else in the world. It just struck me as just such a beautiful collection of stuff. The Queen's portrait is up, a few flags, these kind of things. You couldn't create this in any other setting, and I was just so pleased to have the opportunity to see it. Also, the camaraderie around the, the tea room table... The discussions that came through that. I mean, clearly, you folk, you, you volunteer for a bread car, but mm-hmm. you get so much back socially as well. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the main thing. It's, it's, I don't know, almost like family or, or good
0: friends. Mm-hmm.
2: And you, we haven't had a cross word that I even know of. We've all, all got good senses of humour. Everybody knows what to do. No one's got to be told what to do. You just go into your zone and and do your bit, and it just happens, and everybody's friends with everybody uh you laugh and joke uh you help out if anyone's got a problem with something you dive you know dive in and if someone needs a break, someone else will quickly dive in and take over that role so we, we'll finish one. Sunday and a month later we'll meet again. And, it, and it's, if it was only the next day,
3: hmm.
2: it, it just continues. Oh, all right. Some of us also meet outside uh, with other things, but we're also in contact in Facebook as well and, and bits and pieces. So it is just a good friendly thing. There's no, there's no sort of ruling over you. There's, I don't know, the other places you get. It's all high vis vests. And Certainly. this is what you can and can't do. You can't step here. You can't step there we, we, we just run on common sense, really. And just everybody there to enjoy themselves. I'm, I'm sure if, if everybody didn't enjoy themselves, they'll just say, well, it's no point doing it anymore. And they'll just stop. Mm. Uh, because, you know, when you do things like that and they're not fun, what's the point?
3: Certainly.
2: And, uh, and, and we find it, it rubs off, well, it doesn't rub off on the visitors. The visitors notice it as well. And they've commented it quite often that it just seems such a happy-go-lucky sort of friendly, nothing's too much of a problem. If if anyone anyone needs any help with something, there's always someone who'll help. We, I mean, we have a one coach that's adapted for disabled Mm -hmm. uh, and wheelchair bound and that, and you know, it's there that the guys are there that the ramps put down, they're helped in onto the train, uh, they're helped off. Uh, It's it's never a problem. Uh, It's just it's just having a good time, really. That's what it's about. It's just just mates enjoying themselves. Uh, I mean, we're. I understand we're immensely lucky to be able to do what we do. Mm. Uh, There's there's places where people have to spend five years sweeping the platform and another (laughs) five years polishing an engine and so forth before they even get a chance to stand on a footplate. You know, know, we jump up and down on them all day and just drive it. And at times you do get a bit complacent about it because you think, well, doesn't everybody do that? But they don't. (laughs) And uh, we, we are we are fortunate. But then we do put the effort in. Certainly. You know, we, we are uh, amenable to things. We do try and go the extra mile, as it were, and put on a show. It's all about performing. Most it's definitely. entertaining. Yeah. It's putting on a show for people and, and just hoping that everybody visits has a good day. That's, that's the important thing. As long as everybody goes home with a smile on their face, that's, that's all boxes ticked in, in my book. Very and, good. Uh,
0: yeah. No, yeah. it was, it was a wonderful day. It was wonderful to get oh. a sense of the, the space and the place and the people and, and just I mean obviously, I wasn't there when there were nine hundred you know folk there, but it was yeah. easy to imagine based on you know the two stations and just the infrastructure that you guys have set up, so yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see you know w- whether you can maintain the sweet spot or potentially whether this additional trackage that might go in you know in the next six months a year, what have you. Could increase that capacity in some regard, because I think when you have such a gem, which you're relying on word of mouth, not getting too crazy, uh, it can, it can move very quickly into the too crazy uh, realm. So I, I'm interested to see what happens, but it was just such a nice day. So thank you. Uh, thanks obviously to Ken. Thanks to Neil uh, as well for just making such a wonderful day for me. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're welcome. And and this, face it, we were blessed with the weather. That helps a lot. <laughs> yes, it was wonderful, actually. It was a warm day, I must admit. But yes. uh, it's just, it would be nice for you to see a full operation, David. The only downside of that is we'd find it very difficult to yes, I'd be a devote time to you because <laughs> we have to fulfill the duties uh, that, that we're doing. But you never know. One day if you're over this way again, yeah, maybe it, it coincides. That would be good. Yes. Excellent.
0: So let's talk about model railroading. Let's talk about firstly, first Sunday in June. Obviously, the layout that is based on breadcar. What kind mm-hmm. of progress have you folk made with that recently? Uh, not a lot.
2: Uh, we've been, uh, distracted by other things. Well, being the summer season, as you know, me and Ken have got the old cars. So totally. a lot of our time, uh, has been taken up with And to be honest, this month, Towards the end of this month will probably be, it's effectively the end of the season for us yes. for that. So the cars will be used less and less and, and not take so much time. Uh, so there's, there's been a deal of time having to be spent on that. We've been, uh, creating undergrowth, shall we say, and vegetation mm-hmm. for first Sunday in June. I, uh, picked a load of hydrangea blooms a year or so back and they've dried out and I've been recently just, uh, soaking them in matte medium. Mm. So to give them some, uh, strength and bendability. So that'll be the start of the vegetation side of things. We're going to, uh, crack on with the track making now, probably during October, because we're, we're a bit sidelined at the moment with the yard, mm-hmm. uh, the yards getting, uh, quite you know thankfully more and more popular and their show bookings are well we're booked up to 2022 now gosh uh with that <laughs> layout good problem uh, to have yeah <laughs> but we've been concentrating on sorting we've had a problem with the crane chain hmm. and with it at some point some reason we can't quite work out why but anyway it, it put a slight five degree twist on the load just when you wanted to plant it nice and square on a on a wagon or a lorry yes and a friend of ours, Giles with Dentonbrook, he's been using snake chain mm-hmm. on his uh, line. And I've been getting various sizes and trying it. But unfortunately, we could never get a snake chain that would produce, uh, go down to the radius of the pulley on the hook. Yes. Uh, it was always too much. So I had to abandon that idea. Um, Neil had some super strong thread he'd used for some of his uh, working life projects.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I tried that. And that worked okay. Uh, but it still had a little bit of turn on the hook. Mm. So then I re looked at it and I went through my bits of, and I found some chain I'd bought years ago. I don't know why I bought it, but I've got it. Mm-hmm. And this chain was thicker than the chain we had previously fitted. And I, I re strung the whole system with that and yes. it works brilliantly. And I don't know whether it's, there's a, I don't know, some sort of artificial twist on the chain mm-hmm. or this chain actually fills the pulley wheel groove. Wonderful. What? completely yes uh, and so it's been time doing that and testing it and we did a full test on thursday when we met and, it, and it's terrific it, it's it's dropping it spot on so we're really really pleased with that so i had enough chain to make a spare one as well just in case we have a, a problem on the a, on a show so i've done that we had a problem with the tk articulated lorry mm-hmm. that the uh, gearbox units we'd got and the first one was the worm wheel came adrift from the axle, mm-hmm. so we lost. Uh, and I managed to strip that all out, and it turns out that the worm gear was only fixed onto the axle by some very crude knurling, and that had lost its grip. But anyway, long and short, I managed to clean it all out mm-hmm. and was able to wick some solder in there and cool. fix it. Uh, so I assembled it all, and we ran that for a while, and then it just so happened the other week when we were testing, the uh, output gear from the gearbox shaft, uh, that came adrift. Mm. So I had to pull the whole lot apart again. Uh, and I had a, a real one shot go at this. It was the knurling wasn't very good, but I didn't have much, uh, motor shaft to play with. So I had to clean it all with IPA and then I, uh, oiled the bearings and I got some cigarette paper and made mm-hmm. a, a mask with some oil on it and dropped that over. But <laughs> so then I was able to put the gearbox, uh, the motor shaft gear wheel back on, reassemble the gearbox to check clearances then carefully take it apart and with a very hot, very small iron wick in some solder very quickly hmm. at one end. Hope it didn't go all the way through and and that it solid. And as it happened, it worked a treat. Uh, so I've now soldered those up. So we've got the TK articulated lorry all back up in action, which is really pleasing. Uh The other things we're working on with that is the... Uh, you can probably remember there's no pipework or signage on the buildings at the moment. Hmm. So... I've been working on the pipe work and, and designing pipe runs and stuff like that. But I've also found um, a company, Model U, uh, started doing pipe fittings, 3D printed, but mm. uh, they do them for uh, the metal range of, uh, brass piping, not mm-hmm. the evergreen stuff I'm using. So I contacted them and had a chat with them about it and said, you know, is there any chance you will produce them, uh, to suit the evergreen stuff? And long short of it is I've uh, sent him, some sample tubes and he's going to re, uh, alter his drawings to suit evergreen tubing. Mm. So I order loads of 90 degree bends because I, I can bend the evergreen tube fine, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's, a, there's only a finite radius you can get it to before it kinks. Certainly. I want much, uh, tighter 90 degree bends for, yes. to, to go around the factories. So this is where the 3D printed ones, uh, will come in handy. So um he's I've just only sent the samples off yesterday, so hopefully you'll get back to me next week and hopefully you can get those done mm. and I can start plumbing in all the pipe work. In the meantime I'll be working on factory signs and in our usual tradition of factories, each of the factories will be uh one of us so there'll be jackson's <laughs> and uh, Brody hill and coombs will be the factory name so yes i've got to i've got an idea exactly how they're going to do so i've just got to produce those wonderful and i need to put those on first because some of them will be faded painted on walls and stuff like that because pipework will be going across them mm. in some instances i need to do the signage first so that's the the next thing uh, on the book with the pipework and then we think with the yard that's probably as far as we're ever going to go with it we've, mm. we've got us so that'll just be oh we've made uh leveret covers <laughs> quite fresh i suppose to have a leveret cover for your uh boards and and all the stuff so it, it can be kept clean and dusty it just mm-hmm. so happens that ken had a great big roll of leveret uh from his carriage making days mm. uh when he's seats for the, the competing carriages so we use that but we've made nice dust covers and that for it so that'll be it for that layout and we'll just exhibit it and then we can concentrate more on the first Sunday in June Certainly. and re- really start sort of ramping up the pressure on that and get that moving. I mean, we are working on stock mm-hmm. and stuff. So there's the, uh, drawings we're doing for the various locos and coaches. And nick has been working on 3d printing axle box covers and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, didn't Neil touch on any 3D printing stuff that he's looking into? No, doing he, did, he
0: did mention lighting with regards to first Sunday in June. He said, was. has anything oh, changed with regards to the lighting? Yes, yes, we worked
2: that out. That's now, uh, LED mm-hmm. tubes and we're using 4000K tubes, uh, two four foot on each board and that's going to work really nicely. So we're very pleased with that. But, uh, so Neil, which if he comes on again, uh, he's looking at uh, resin printers. Mm-hmm. So we can get the, the detail parts that we need for the bread stock, like axle boxes, uh, worms, hill, the louver doors, uh, et cetera, et cetera, stuff that's, uh, trickier to make. I mean, can make it and that's mm-hmm. all, but it's trickier, but the 3D printing can make a lovely job of it. So we're looking to use the best media for the component for each item of rolling stock. Uh, so we're, we're working up with things like that at the moment and how we're going to do it. So some, some will be nickel silver, some will be 3D printed. Uh, some will maybe laser cut in plastic or, or plywood, whichever suits, depending on what item of rolling stock we're working on and, and what part we're working on. Certainly. So, yeah, that, that will, we can start concentrating on that. Uh, a lot of stuff. Oh, the club double layout. I've got all the station platforms and the station buildings and <laughs> canopies. They're, they're being painted, but that's, you got, know, you got 40 foot of platform edge to paint enough. <laughs> you can only do it in small stages. Otherwise Certainly. you get, you go completely do lally. So. That's being worked on. Nothing's happened to the garden line, been too busy with everything else.
0: So I I had a question about that, it's somewhat yeah. surreally. So a week ago, I was at the Narrow Gauge Convention. A week prior, uh, a little bit afterwards, actually, I was with you folk. At the Narrow Gauge Convention, Kent Garden Railway's AcuCraft offering, I hadn't realised that AcuCraft, which is actually local to me, they're based in the Bay Area, had mm-hmm. a relationship with Kent Garden Railway's. Yes, and they, I saw their offering and they seem to indicate that there were more offerings that were coming uh, along this line. I'm, I'm wondering if any of the breadcrumbs locomotives would ever be memorialised in, in an AccuCraft offering. I, I, you, I, I don't know. I, I
2: I know ages when I was in the shop, I was talking to Andy <laughs> and he said he was doing something with AccuCraft yeah. and the bits and pieces and he, he intimated there was other stuff but he hadn't finalised exactly what. Uh, and I haven't, been in there for a while, mainly because it cost me too much money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the first offering—the first offering was—it's interesting because the price point is just above. I mean, it's it's kind of their mid-tier price point, but mm-hmm. it's slightly higher than a locomotive that seems to have more stuff on it. So I'm wondering if the—I um, don't know what one would call it—boutique nature of Kent Carton Railway's offering is changing the price, but it's. I- Sorry. Yeah,
2: I'd imagine it, it's probably more like a, uh, a niche rather than a mainstream project yes. that the, the natural manufacturer doesn't see it as big enough. But if you've got a sponsor for it, then the anything's possible type of thing. So yes. I think that's, that's where it's coming from. Um, it
0: is interesting. Certainly in your area, the number of possible offerings. I mean, I looked up the locomotive. It's, it's a historical locomotive, but I would I mean, in searching for it, it indicated that it wasn't particularly active. And mm-hmm. I think certainly there's a potential for a lot of different locomotives to be offered in that price range. It's in there. I don't know what you want to call it. Like I said, a middle tier offering. Um, but the gentleman is local to me. He's offered to give me a, a tour of his, uh, his offices and machine shop. Um, oh, right. and I am thoroughly interested in getting a sense of what's coming next with this. Because obviously the collaboration with Kent Garden Railways has a wide variety of possible options in your area. So it was rather surreal to be in Sacramento, California and thinking of that shop of (laughs) particularly how (laughs) how things are stacked in Kent Garden Railways. Just the (laughs) sense of the shop and having been there and just having come from seeing you folk as well. It all seemed very surreal to, uh, to be talking with this gentleman about the offerings that were coming from, uh, from your part of the world. But yeah, a very uh, interesting I, collaboration. And as you say, it sounds like there's uh, going to be future stuff coming through that as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, from what I gather. But, uh, I'll have to pop in there again. But as I say, sometimes you always end up buying more than you ever intended.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I have an offering of theirs very close to me. My wife looks at it periodically and uh, in particular the sticker price and says, what, why do you have this box with a locomotive inside? <laughs> to, <laughs> to remind of, of better times, I think. Martin, oh, it is always a pleasure catching up. Thanks once again for a, a wonderful day. Please pass on my regards to Simon Hill as well. Will do. I certainly missed, and uh, I'm looking yep. forward to catching up with him at some stage. I wanted pleasure. to just do a check in with Neil.
1: A bit froggy, but Don't I'm, worry, I'm here.
0: We can work through that. Martin mentioned 3D printing. Do you have a 3D printing related <laughs> update?
1: Well, I mean, I've still got still doing a, a fair amount of ordinary 3D printing with <laughs> the extrusion printer, um, but we were looking at detail items on the particularly on the 60 mil stock for for the first Sunday in June. And um, we we contacted a couple of bureaus to have stuff printed. Mm -hmm. And we suddenly realized that, well, maybe we could do it ourselves, um, because we're not looking for a production. We're just looking to make limited numbers. Mm -hmm. So I've been looking at a number of low-cost or low-end resin 3D printers to try and decide which one I'm going to go for. And I think I've made up my mind, but... um, because uh, they vary in price from um, say three three hundred pounds up to well as much as you want to pay. Mm. Um, so as long as it can it can handle the precision and resolution that we're looking for, um, then I'll have a go. How, I, I'm going to get one, but it's just a deciding which one to get, um, and I'm so I'm nearly there.
0: The 3D printing market is really fascinating. I have a, a co-worker that printed me a bunch of stuff, and one of the difficulties was actually cutting the, um, I, I call it spaghetti, but the thing that basically links to the 3D print so it can come out of the uh, the goo, so to speak. I used a flame to try to do the cutting and set everything alight. So it is interesting <laughs> that even on the high-end 3D printers, you get a different set of problems, right? You fix some problems, there are more problems that you need to find workarounds for. But yeah, it's certainly it, the price point that uh, folks such as Terry Terrence advocate for is the very low-end resin extrusion, and we've had on Craig Biscar talking about changing the nozzles and doing various other techniques. So you can get a certain resolution out of even the low-end 3D printers if they're willing to put in the effort. But I'm really yeah. fascinated to hear what comes from your experimentation because the kinds of things that you are doing in particular anything that has stress involved with it which some of the 3d prints you'll be making will have i mean that is really interesting information to pass back to the community
1: yes well when when i've when i've got something i mean it it, through resin 3d printing particularly um hobby threads in 3d printing it's a bit of a messy process Mm. i mean there's a lot of once you've actually printed it and there's a lot of cleaning then you've got to fix it and and another, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it's not—it's not like the ordinary 3D printers where you just extrude it, print it, cut it off, use it. So um, there's a, a great deal of information out there. Um, people have um, published YouTube videos describing what they've done and the mistakes they've made. That's um, very informative. And so you—you're you, not exactly starting blind you know mm-hmm. there are there are people that can help and there's some very good forums where people give you advice so um I, I know what can be done um it's not a question of just pour it in switch it on and you get your results um, i know that because uh, it took me a long time to fine-tune <laughs> the extrusion printer but i've printed all sorts of stuff for that mainly structural things mm. um but it's it, it's amazing that you can come up with an idea once you've drawn it, print it, and you've done it within two or three days. Certainly. Whereas if you use a bureau, you've got to send it off. Oh,
0: yes.
1: Wait wait for the quote, wait for the thing to come back. And, and you tend to lose momentum when you do that. And so uh, I was talking about it with um, uh, Martin and Ken last Thursday, and I was going through all the options. Uh, Martin suggested I went for the most expensive one. Because he wasn't buying it, <laughs> uh, but 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 as I say, theres some of them, I mean, if you, if you look at some of them in in the states, you can easily pay ten ten fifteen twenty thousand dollars easily, for, yes, a, for for a, for a resin printer. But it depends what you want to do with it. If if, if you're just making small quantities um, and you the time isn't really significant, then yeah, I'll have a go. Certainly. Yeah, it keeps, keeps me going to miss you anyway
0: Very good, very good
1: As I say, it was nice to meet up with you again, Tom
0: Most definitely, most definitely Always a pleasure to, to chat with okay. you Thank you very much to uh, to Neil and Martin For a, a wonderful day Ken also was there, we've got to get Kent calling back in Wide supply of rail-related wisdom, Ken is Absolutely wonderful day Thank you both for the chance to, to see Breadcar first hand It was a real pleasure Okay One of the nice things that I did at the Narrow Gauge Convention was I spent an afternoon with Malcolm Johnson. And Malcolm has moved to Sacramento. He is one of the model rail radio faithful that has left the Bay Area. And I was reflecting, Jamie Fenton, has it been about a year since you left the Bay Area? Pretty much. So in terms of your model railroading update, I wanted to talk to you about live steam. Because as I've alluded, the Narrow Gauge Convention provided AccuCraft and the debate. Do I get into live steam now with perhaps slightly the wrong locomotive or do I wait for the right locomotive? In terms of your model railroading update, have you been doing anything with live steam?
4: Oh, well, we've got our Ruby, which is the AccuCraft 040 um, that we, I've actually owned it for, i um, guessing, 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And so it was sitting in storage for a long, long time. And so what we did is we laid our, our G-Scale track out on this large concrete patio. In this house, which my sister and my mother own, and it, needless to say, has been a big hit with everybody, including my sister and my mother and their friends, and the kids and everybody else. As you can imagine, uh, we have it set up to run electric or steam, and we've had the ruby out once, and we're about we're probably going to take it out this weekend as well. Mm. So we're pretty much um, you know we have a but uh, basically we call it an unmodified ruby, which means you have to run around and chase it so, <laughs> in order to change the the throttle setting. Yeah, I would say go get one of those. Mm. That's Those are um, – I think you can get them for about uh, – I don't know. I was, I was just looking at eBay, and I, I think a kit for one of those is like about $550 or so. Certainly. And, and I, I think I paid a little more than that, but for the fully assembled one way back when. Mm. And I get one of those because – you can you can run it all the time, and it's not gonna. Kind of, uh, you don't feel like you're damaging anything expensive. Which, if you go get a big, you know, a five thousand dollar aster or yes. something, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna think twice about uh, even uh, you know putting any more miles on it than you absolutely have to. If you think of it as some sort of collector's item and stuff, so I say get a ruby or something like it. Yes, and I don't know what your definition of uh of the perfect steam engine for you is, but. We certainly like the Ruby for what it does. I mean, as I say, I think you know, we already have a Shea and we have certainly. a 440T, uh, 440, uh, that we, we don't run very much. <laughs> so get a Ruby.
0: You may not know this, but AccuCraft is local. It's, they're based in Union City. So I'm actually going to go and see their workshop at some stage. Um, in part because that- I think some, sorry, continue.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. I was uh yeah, forget forget about this half duplex thing. <laughs> I should know. Uh but yeah, the uh that was a real surprise. I thought they were over in Australia or something like that.
0: <laughs> no, they're based in Union City, and like I said, they were at the Narragoge Convention. I think the thing that strikes me about the Ruby is the the radio control options seem to be a must in that circumstance. We have a garden where if I put down track Uh, I could create quite a nice little loop. I'm interested, actually, in in the G-scale track that you put down. Is it interlocking in some way, or is it just kind of snap-fit together? How how does it maintain its rigidity?
4: Well, it's just classic uh, LGB uh, tracks, so, you know, it's... Uh, I don't know if you're probably familiar with it. So it's sort of like Kato or something else mm-hmm. that you just, it's got rail joiners at, at each end and you just snap the pre, prefab sections together. But we, we've pretty much this year, we decided we're just going to lay the, the stuff flat on the ground and not have any, uh, any, uh, gardening going on around it at all. So mm-hmm. we can actually rip, take the whole thing out and rip the whole thing out and store it for the winter, uh, without any kind of, uh, uh, complexity at all, but eventually we would love to have a um, you know more permanent layout and so forth. And it's mostly a matter of convincing my my sister that that would be a great use for the flower bed, mm. <laughs> which she may she may go along with. She's pretty cool, but uh, uh, she certainly loves. In fact, she's going to have a party later today where the railroads is going to be one of the features. So very good. <laughs> Maybe we may have got her converted. It sounds but, like it. Uh, a... Yeah. Well, she's pretty interesting. She, yeah, she, she's, she, how do you describe her? If you can imagine me born a female, <laughs> she looks very much like me.
0: We've <laughs> talked about the garden railway. Yeah. Have you done any more on the, the in Loud? Is there anything interesting going on with that?
4: Yeah. Yes. Yes, we did. Uh, what we did there is we, we just took all everything off of it. And we decided to run little like one inch by one inch pieces of wood underneath, you know, like four um, 80 inches long and, um, spaced out evenly, basically just to lift the whole thing up, the, the whole door up off the, off its support a little bit more so that it could run wires. Mm-hmm. So this winter time, we decided to do our lighting upgrade mm. of the, you know, put uh, um, uh, Woodland Scenic's uh, light lighting uh, fixtures and so forth underneath. It would it'd be easy to manage because you have, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to, you'd still have to drill through the door, but you wouldn't have uh, wires sort of getting in the way if you need, ever need to lift the door off mm. something to down on. So we did that. The other thing we did is I went and got a couple of. As a tracks boards, what these are, they're little PC boards that have a chip on them and some, uh, a lot of connectors. And mm-hmm. what they do is you, they come with, uh, two, uh, light emitting diode IR light emitting diode emitters to, uh, uh, IR rec- receivers. And what you do is you put, uh, a pair, you know, of, of each. On both sides of a switch, on a Kato switch, so that when the train is running, uh, uh, I would just say, against the Mm points, you know, uh, rather than – since Kato and and N-Scale pretty much doesn't have the concept of a spring switch, if you want to automatically have the switch thrown when the train's coming – this is a good way to do it because it, the, the IR sensor picks up the train Certainly. coming and it throws a switch into the direction necessary. So, cause, cause it used to be that when we would run, cause our re- basic, uh, Carolyn Pacific Railroad was, um, essentially two reversing loops tied together by a main line. And hmm. so otherwise somebody would have to pay attention.
3: <laughs> <Certainly>.
4: <laughs> every, every time through the reversing loop, you'd have to flip it so that it would go, um, the other way. Um, and so now it, we just can run it on autopilot. I just got that working oh, about a week ago. Mm. And it was involved a lot of uh, tuning to try to get the infrared sensing to work right. Because if it's a little too sensitive, it picks up all the time because it bounce, the IR bounces off the ceiling. And if it's not sensitive enough, the trains don't just run into the switch going the wrong way. So, mm. <laughs> But anyway, so we've got that kind of working. And so now it's a matter of... Um, putting the N scale railroad back together, which we'll, we'll certainly start on pretty soon. I think we'll, we're sort of in outdoor mode a little bit more. Mm-hmm, certainly. We'll shift into in, in, probably another uh, month. I think we're going to tear down the outdoor and, and, um, and go all, full indoor, which means that then we'll do the, you know, the maintenance stuff on the <laughs> outdoor during the winter. You can do indoor, you know, we sort of have a flip flop. Mm. So that's kind of what we've been up to. Terrific. Terrific.
0: Well, thank you for the update, Jamie. It's always a pleasure catching up. I'm not sure when we're next going to be in the Chicago area, but I think there is a trip planned to Chicago. I think Mike's later or maybe someone else has planned me to talk somewhere at some stage. I've got to work out when that's going to be happening. But certainly Michelle has never been to Chicago, which just seems... I can't imagine these people with U.S. passports that haven't been to the major cities, but, yeah, so we're really looking forward to to getting to Chicago at some stage, and I'm looking forward to to catching up with you and maybe seeing... I'll, I'll try to aim for coming in the good weather, although <laughs> trade conventions are never in the good weather, but, yeah, it'd be wonderful to catch up with you and get a sense of your new space. I, I'll take your advice with regards to the Ruby. Maybe that makes some sense to to start at the low end and... uh burn my fingers a bit and work out if it's something that I like. So thank you very much for the chance to chat today, and thank you very much for the update.
4: Yeah, you're most welcome. We'll see you, see you soon, and you're obviously always welcome to visit here. Thank you, yep. Jamie. Good night.
0: I'd like to welcome on Mike Slater. Mike, you are at a train show currently you're currently broadcasting from a train show. Which train show are you at? What kind of stuff is going on? Give some update here.
5: Sure. I'm at the uh, Fall Harvest Days um, show that I organized the uh, layouts of a couple of the buildings at the fairgrounds. Um, right now, I'm standing next to our Northwest Traction layout. I got Andy Breaker standing, uh, kind of uh, working out the issues with one of the cars on the layout right now. Um and then there's several other layouts. We have uh, the uh, two different layout layouts. We have our WISE division, NMRA, mm-hmm. uh youth group layout in this building also. And then we also have a display booth for NMRA division. And the other building, unfortunately, we've dropped down to only one layout. So next year, they'll be in this building also. But mm-hmm. we have a, a layout from uh, Waukegan, Illinois. Cool. So how's attendance? Today, it's actually fairly good in that because uh, yesterday was kind of cool after a big thunderstorm that went through. So there was a lot of water around the fairgrounds. But uh, today is very good attendance. uh, A lot of families, a lot of young kids, uh, a lot of older kids. uh, uh, A lot of people wish that uh, they could still move like a kid, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, very good attendance. Wonderful. Well, thank you for the update, Mike Slater. Always
0: good to have you on the call. And, uh, yeah, thank you also for broadcasting the show. Much appreciated.
5: Not a problem. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah, take care.
0: It may just be the good weather, but it's certainly been noted by many a listener that uh, the calls to Bottle Rail Radio, the number of folks actually calling in, have dropped off a little bit certainly in my travels, it has come up in conversation associated with what has happened to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Oftentimes, it's the professor. He seems to be a well-missed character from Model Rail Radio. We do have a phenomenon now where we occasionally get people calling in that don't have audio set up and this kind of stuff. I can post-produce almost any audio and historically, I've post-produced audio from a wide variety of different things. So, your technology is not an obstacle to calling into Model Rail Radio. So, please... Consider calling in, and I will work through whatever audio issues have occurred. The listenership to Model Rail Radio is continuing to grow, but the number of callers has not grown accordingly. So if you're a new listener, if you'd like to call in, I did bump into a few at the Narrow Gauge Convention who I got sworn promises, affidavits, that they would call into Model Rail Radio. So if you are a new listener, please consider calling in. I keep on the website, modelrailradio.com. The list of the call in times if these times are just no good for you let me know because I'm certainly willing to consider recording at other times I recorded on Sunday once uh, and got some interesting callers so maybe we move to the recording occasionally on a Sunday as a means of getting folks to call in but really this recording is nothing if it weren't for the listeners and participants so if you are a listener and you would like to participate in model rail radio I think I have made the plea very clear please consider calling into Model Rail Radio. Please consider contributing in audio form to this project, which has gone on now for more than 10 years. This is the 10-year anniversary month. I think, actually, this is probably the closest show recording to 10 years ago when I started this thing. And the one thing about Model Rail Radio, as I was discussing with, uh, with Martin and Neil, the camaraderie that comes through this thing is just absolutely overwhelming. So if you would like to participate, please consider calling in. If the times are wrong, let me know. I will take all feedback, tom at modelrailradio.com. But yes, just a wonderful opportunity in the past two, three weekends to catch up with folks associated with the show. It was really wonderful. And Malcolm Johnson, hopefully, will get a little layout space and be able to call in and give layout updates. I've seen his space. It is wonderful, but a new space is coming, and my hope is that he will have a train area in that space. Thank you very much for everyone who called in today. Thanks, the folks, for listening in. Good morning.